0: Good morning, it's so good to be here um, with you. I absolutely love, I love, I love, I love the opening chapters of Genesis. And I'm so thankful to Pastor Brandon and Pastor Eric just for the opportunity to share with you this morning. Um, We're right in the middle of a sermon series on the book of Genesis, the opening chapters, and there's so much good stuff. There's so much good stuff in these chapters that are so foundational to what we see in the rest of the Bible. And so I love how we can take our time to go through it slowly, to wonder at these words, and be encouraged and inspired by God's good gift of, God's good work and gifts of creation. This morning we're looking at the idea of the image of God, how we as humankind reflect, we image God, we look like Him. Um, in my extended family, we have had a whole lot of babies born recently. My sister had a brother. My, brother, my, my, my sister, I'm sorry, had a baby. <laughs> I also have a brother. And he also had a baby. My cousins are having so, so many babies in our family. So many babies. And the very first question that gets asked when we get that picture texted to us from the hospital What does that baby look like? Who does that baby look like? Which parent do you see mom or dad reflected in that precious little one? She has mom's nose. He has dad's hair. We see the parents reflected in that little child. Stephen, I never thought that either of our kids looked particularly like us Um, we never really, uh they look kind of like an O or kind of like an Asami, but not really like any one of us. Someone once did tell me that Connor has my eyebrows. Uh, I'll take that. That's good enough for me. He has my eyebrows. Um, But it's not just in our looks that we reflect one another. It's in our behavior, how we act, our mannerisms, the things that we do. And so um, in our household, my son, Micah, I think he really gets his playfulness from Steve. He's playful and so much fun to be around. My other son, Connor, I think he's a lot like me. Um, When he's in a new situation, he's just a lot more comfortable if he has time to sit back and observe new people, new situations. And so we see the behavior of our kids also reflects the parents, right? Kids are learning how to be in this world from their parents, so they pick things up from their parents mannerisms, uh, things that they do, it's not just our kids that reflect our parents, right? We can image people that we're around, whether it's our coworkers, our spouses, uh, our neighbors, people, our roommates, people that we're just around, who we like to be around. You begin to pick up sayings that are similar. You begin to do the same thing as we influence one another. Again, the idea we're exploring is the image of God. Image of God that we, humankind, male and female, are created to reflect God's image. That the way we go about living our day-to-day lives should reveal something about who God is and what God is about. And so this morning, we're going to turn to Genesis 1.24. Genesis 1.24, where we read about the sixth day of creation and when this idea is first introduced. So Genesis one. Verse 24, and God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds and livestock according to their kinds and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and morning the sixth day. And so we see here on the sixth day, God created humankind, both male and female, um, to reflect God's own image and likeness. The idea of the image of God, it would have been really familiar to the ancient Israelites who were listening to these words. Their neighbors in Mesopotamia, in Syria, in Egypt, all had very similar ideas, even language, very similar language about people reflecting the image of God. Um, In these ancient Near Eastern cultures, it was common practice for a king, for a king to set up an image, statues, idols of himself, all throughout the kingdom. So you'd see these images reflected of the king all throughout the kingdom to show who was in charge. Um, Sometimes priests, but mostly kings. Um, These people, these select and powerful privileged few, would reflect the image of God. Genesis 1 was revolutionary. It was revolutionary in its time for the Jewish readers in that all people, every single person, each and every person reflects the image of a God, not just a king, not just a priest. All people are given the responsibility to rule, the authority and the responsibility to rule, every single person. And so with that um, little bit of historical background, what I want to do is I want to go back and take a closer look at the sixth day to see what we can pull out from these verses to help us understand what does it mean to be the image of God? What does that really mean? So on day six, God spoke and living creatures came from the earth. Living creatures, livestock, cattle, creatures that move along the ground, creepers. So, I think, what, insects, lizards, slugs? These are the animals that were created, and then the wild animals. And you'll notice this refrain, each according to their kinds. Each according to their kinds. That refrain, that phrase is repeated five times in just these two short verses. Five times, that's a lot. All these animals were created according to their kinds. You'll notice a difference, though, when humans are created. The difference is, God says, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness. So whereas the the animals were created each according to their kind, when humans were created, God says, we're going to make humankind in our image, in our likeness. There's another difference between the creation of animals and humans. If you read the text closely, you'll notice it. The animals are created. They do their thing, and it's good. They live their lives. They just go about doing what animals do. But the creation of humankind, you'll see there's a difference. Even before the humans are created, we learn about their purpose. They have purpose. God knows what he's going to have these human beings do. God says, I'm gonna make humans. They're gonna look like me. And you know what I want these humans to do? I want these human beings to rule over all these animals that I just created. And then we get to verse 27, which is this beautiful poem, this beautiful poem, which slows us down and helps us to reflect on the mystery that a human being reflects the image of God, that these dirt creatures, right, were made from the dirt, from the dust of the ground. These dirt creatures have something in them that reflects divinity. I still don't fully understand what that means, but that's what verse 27 is doing. It's in helping us to imagine and rejoice and celebrate in the creation humankind and then verse 27 we see it again the humans are given purpose now that they're created they're fully formed right here God speaks to them he talks to them and he blesses them and then tells them about their job be fruitful increase in number fill the earth and subdue it rule over the fish of the sea rule over the birds of the air rule over every living creature and God says, here, these are plants for you. These fruit-bearing trees, they're yours for food. Take care of them. Take care of them. They're yours. And so what is the task God has given these human beings? What is the task? Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. That's pretty, free, pretty straightforward. Have babies. Reproduce. Make more human beings. And as you fill the earth, subdue it. As you fill the earth, rule. Subdue and rule, I want to take some time with those two words. Inherent in subdue and rule is the sense of power. It's a sense of power and authority that the humans are to assert. Subdue, it's not a word that we use commonly in our language today. To subdue something is to bring something under control, to take something that is wild and unruly and all over the place and bring it to order. That's what subdue can mean. In and of itself, it's not, a, not necessarily a bad thing. But as you see this word used throughout the rest of the New Testament, it kind of becomes a negative word. Subdue, if something is really wild and crazy, a lot of times what it takes to subdue something might mean using force. And so when we see this word repeated throughout the rest of the Old Testament, it describes military battles. It describes the conquering of kingdoms. It describes making people into slaves. That's how this word, subdue, is used throughout the Old Testament. It's not a pretty word. Rule. When we think about ruling, it's kind of similar um, to me to subdue. Right, Subdue, so it, it's not a positive or a negative word, it can go either way. It's kind of neutral. Same thing with rule. It's not necessarily bad or good, positive or negative. It can go in either direction. The thing, the picture that I got of, um, that I thought of when I was thinking about this idea of ruling, do you remember the old Disney, Robin Hood, animated movie from the 70s? I watched that movie so many times as a kid. that That's what I thought of when I thought of a ruler. Um, in this movie, you get two depictions of a ruler. So the first picture we get is of Prince John. Do you remember Prince John? He is um, he's a prince. He's not really king, but he's acting as king. And what Prince John does as a ruler, he makes it all about himself. He loves to hold up his mirror and look at himself wearing this crown upon his head. Prince John loves, he rejoices in all of the riches that come with ruling. He counts his money and he throws it up. He sleeps with a bag of money under his arm because he loves the riches that comes with ruling. Prince John is not afraid. He will often lash out um, to exercise his power with harshness. That is how Prince John rules. He makes it about himself. The people, the creatures, I guess animals, in this version of the movie, are not happy. They're poor. And with Prince John in charge, things are really not good for them. King Richard provides a stark contrast for us. King Richard is Prince John's brother, and King Richard is a good ruler. He is benevolent, he is kind, and under his rule, his subjects are taken care of. There is prosperity. Life is good. We see subduing and ruling can either be a really positive thing If we subdue and rule in a positive way, it brings blessing and life and fruitfulness. But flip on the other side of that coin, subduing and ruling can also paint a really negative, a harmful picture, a picture of force, of making people slaves, domination, tyranny, exploitation. There are good rulers, yeah. They're also really a lot of really bad ones, where the power, the authority that comes with subduing and ruling has gone awry. And if we just stop and take a look at our world, um, we could see very real instances where that happens, where power has not been used well. History gives us many examples of rulers of kings, of queens, of dictators, of presidents, of politicians who use the authority that comes with their position for themselves at the expense of others. We don't have to think very hard to find examples of how power has become destructive, harmful. I know I've experienced some of that in my own life. I'm sure you have as well. Power is not always used well. Authority is not always used to bless. But become selfish, inward focused, all about myself, creating a name for me. With all this, we can't just point our fingers at the people in charge. Remember, Genesis 1 makes it very clear who is given authority and power, not just kings and queens, each and every single one of us each and every single one of us. Subduing and ruling is a task given to all of humankind. All of humankind, male and female, each person here in this room, each person out in the world has, begin, has been given authority and responsibility to exercise power well. We may not rule a country. We may not rule nations or anything like that. But we all have influence. We all have authority that we can use, be it in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our homes, with our spouses, with our kids. We, each and every single one of us, must consider, God, how are we to rule? How do we exercise this great responsibility that you've given us? I'd say the most important thing to keep in mind as we, ans- as we ask this question, we must remember that we, humankind, male and female, whose image are we created in? We are created in the image of God. And so we have to ask, what does God do with power? How does God exercise this authority? How does God rule? As we've seen these past few weeks in Genesis 1, God gives us a completely different picture of ruling than we see used in our broken and hurting world. As we've learned these past few weeks from Pastor Eric, Pastor Brandon, in creation, God takes what's formless and void. God takes what is tohu vabohu. That's the Hebrew, remember? Tohu vabohu, wild and waste. God takes chaos. And what does God do with it? God uses his power, his creative power, to bring a place that is Tove, that is good. Up on the screen, I have a painting of um, creation. This is a painting of creation, it's a little small. If you want to see it, you can look it up on Google or something. It is the Genesis frontispiece from the St. John's Bible. The St. John's Bible, it is this work of art. It's this illuminated manuscript, illuminated Bible that people, um, calligraphers, artists have come together to create. I think it's so cool. I love this painting. It's one of my favorites. Um, On the first day, the very left-hand side of that picture, you'll see that chaos. You'll see those brushstrokes going every which way, formless and void, wild and waste. Nothing, nothing can survive in that chaos. You'll notice there's a little bit of gold kind of close to the middle top. And that gold in that chaos represents the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God that's hovering over the surface of the deep, the Spirit of God that is about to begin this work of creation. And when God begins that work, you see day by day, day by day by day, God creates boundaries for the chaos. God separates the waters above from the waters below. God's creating these boundaries for the chaos. Day by day, God brings order. Day by day, God brings light to the darkness. Day by day, God is at work. And what is God doing? He is creating a place where life can flourish. God speaks, and the land rises up from the waters. God speaks, and plants and animals begin to grow. God speaks Birds feel the sky, fish feel the sea, living creatures fill the earth. In creation, God is at work, and God is using that power to subdue and rule. But this incredible power is not used to dominate, it's not used to suppress. That power is used to create a place of benefit, a place of benefit for all living creatures. Every single creature can thrive, a place of beauty where life can flourish. We are made. We are made every one of us are made in the image of God and God has given us responsibility to subdue and to subrule and to subdue and rule we must go about that in a way that reflects our creator God Remember subduing and ruling it can go in two different directions two different directions either good and life-giving blessing or it can become domineering exploitative I hope that each one of us, we can catch this vision of what it means to exercise responsibility, to exercise authority in a way that brings benefit and not harm, to tend and to keep this gift of good earth that God has given us, to care for and nurture places of blessings for the people in our lives. The question is, how do we do that? What does that look like? For me, I think of gardening. I really do think of gardening. That is a picture of subduing and of ruling. Stay with me. Um, In this example, I have a fruit tree, I have two peach trees in my backyard. And they're beautiful trees. I love them. We planted them when we moved in um, to our home. Every winter, about December, January, every winter we get these really beautiful flowers all over the branches. And you'll see these bees that are pollinating these flowers. And um, every flower that gets pollinated will start, to, you'll see this little tiny baby peach starting to poke out of the middle, out of the middle of that flower bud. The thing is, every flower that's pollinated will produce a tiny baby peach. And so if you let all of these peaches growing, you're going to have a ton of fruit growing along that branch. So you see right there, all of those peaches have been, they're growing, and they're all clumped right next to each other, real tight in there. The problem is, if you let all of these peaches continue to grow, they stay really small. My peaches that if I leave them, they'll just be this big. They're small. The pit takes up most of that. You don't get much fruit. And then what happens is if you let all all these peaches grow, the weight of the fruit becomes really heavy, and then the branch of that tree is going to break off. So what what you need to do is you need to thin the fruit. So you'll see in this next picture, you take some of that baby fruit off, and so there's only every few inches you get a peach. And doing that helps the peaches to grow bigger. Doing that helps the branches of that tree not to break. That's subduing. That is a picture of subduing. As I subdue my peach tree, what I'm doing, I am asserting myself. I'm knowing, okay, this is how this peach tree grows. If I thin the fruit, if I assert myself to care for this fruit tree, I'm going to be able, this fruit tree will produce the best possible peaches that it can. I'm taking action to care for this tree. It's knowing how this tree grows and knowing how to care for it in the best possible way so that fruit grows to be good, that I can then share and enjoy with people. Come see me in May. I always have a ton of peaches growing. I'm giving them away to everyone. That is subduing. That's a picture of subduing. Um, There's this uh, theologian scholar, Ellen Davis, and she writes about ruling as exercising skilled mastery. It's a similar idea, skilled mastery. It's thoughtfully observing someone, a situation, whatever it is, it's thoughtfully observing something and knowing the best way. To, to, to raise that person up, the best way to handle that situation so that the fullest potential could be reached, so that there can be blessing and life and flourishing. That is subduing, ruling in a way that cares for things, in a way that follows God's subduing and ruling. What does this look like in our lives? Um, for me, I think, of, I think of a teacher. I think of a teacher who is asserting himself to create the best possible environment for learning for his students. It's knowing how to manage the classroom. It's knowing how to create boundaries so that the students know what is acceptable behavior and what is out of line. It's knowing how to communicate, how to teach, how to motivate so these students learn. Learn. I think of a parent disciplining a child. Uh, As parents, we have authority. As parents, we have power over these little kids who are in our charge. How do we use that power? If our kids are out of line, how do we discipline? Do we discipline with harshness? Do we discipline um, in a demeaning way? stirring up fear within them. I'm not saying we don't discipline our kids. I'm saying the way we do it is so important as we teach them how to learn, how to grow from different situations. How do we subdue and rule? I think of a manager at work knowing how to lead her team, communicating, evaluating the goals, that the team is working from, understanding the strengths and also the areas of growth that each and every person has in setting her team up well, setting her team up well to grow. I think of a person uh, wrestling with the ecological impact of his or her lifestyle. The products we purchase, the food that we, gr- that we consume often causes great harm. Uh, to the people, and to the land who produce it. But I wrestle with that. We're supposed to subdue and rule in a way that brings blessing and not harm. But is it even possible to untangle ourselves from these systems, um, these damaging systems? I don't know. I honestly don't know. But I believe with all my heart we are called to subdue and rule, to live our lives, to make choices, that benefit this earth, that benefit the people who bring these products to our doors. That is part of subduing and ruling. These are just a few examples that came to my mind. I'm sure there are many others that you can think of. What are the opportunities that you have to subdue, to, to rule in a way that images our Creator God? I'm sure there are many. The final piece of the puzzle I have for us today is found in Jesus. It's found in Jesus. You know, in Colossians 1.15, it says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus' life makes God visible to us. And I think Jesus lived showing us what it looks like to to reflect the image of God in a way that all of us can learn from. His life and his death and his resurrection perfectly pictures who God is and what God is about. And so when Jesus is living on this earth, as you read the Gospels, you see he uses his power, not for himself. Jesus uses his power to heal others. Jesus uses his power to cast out demons, to forgive sins, to preach about the kingdom of God, to help people understand this is what life in God's kingdom looks like. He empowered people. Jesus lifted people up. You see Jesus really noticing the outcasts of society and not passing them by, ministering to them. That is how Jesus lived. In his death, and his resurrection, we see how Jesus offered himself up humbly in self-giving love, So that each and every single one of us, all of humankind, can be forgiven of our sins so that we could draw near to God and experience life in God's kingdom. Let's consider this week, how is it that I can image God? God, how can I reflect you in my life? How can I, like Jesus, serve others, lift people up, bless others? God, where are the places where there is disorder in my life? I can think of some. (laughs) Can you think of some disorder and chaos going on in your life? Where is that spirit of God hovering? Where is the spirit of God hovering in the midst of that chaos? And where might God be calling you to partner? To partner with the spirit of God to bring about not harm, but blessing. To bring about life, to bring about flourishing. It's hard work. Oftentimes, I know, it's not easy work, but it's good work. It's good work. Being the image of God means we all, each and every single one of us, participate in God's work of creation. We get to cultivate these places of life and beauty. And so, I pray this week, may our good God, may our good God of grace and of love fill each one of you up as we do our best to live as his image. Will you pray with me?